You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We get to talk with an artist, an author. Our friend. Our friend. That's right. And (laughs) and dig into a great new book from Concordia Publishing House today. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, Flame, Lutheran artist and author of Extra Nos, Discovering Grace Outside Myself. Flame, welcome back to The Coffee Hour. Yes, I'm glad to be back. Always fun hanging out with you all. We are excited. You have a book, a new book from Concordia Publishing House, releases today. We know pre-sales has been going on, but today is mm-hmm. the official day that copies actually come out. Finally, yeah. People Woo! finally get their hands on it. <laughs> and we may or may not have had a chance to read it a little early. I totally did, because several months ago. <laughs> privilege of being in media. Sometimes you get the early copies. And mm-hmm. Sarah got to read it really early because you got to write. To review it. To review, yeah. Yeah. Bless so you, Sarah. Thank you. We, we, <laughs> we are excited to, to dig into your book today, which starts off with your story. Where does your story begin? It starts right here in St. Louis, right? It does. It starts right here or there in St. Louis. It's so interesting, too, because, you know, my grandmother is the one I credit for really instilling in me, you know, Christianity and particularly theology. So I remember her just walking with me through the doctrine of the Trinity, the nature of Christ. And those things were particularly important, I I believe, to her. But even in context, so the community I grew up in, there was a large presence of the nation of Islam. And they were very intentional about knowing what they believed and why they believed it. And for my grandmother, that was something she wanted to, you know, help guard me against. So I would say there is really where I started to take these kind of things seriously. Even though I was in a Christian circle, I knew the environment around me was, you know, pushing in on the Christian community. So I said, man, I need to know what I believe and why I believe it. So that's kind of how I started as a kid at that point. (laughs) What are some of the, looking back now from where you are, what are some of the big moments, I suppose, experiences that shaped where you ended up and and the journey that you ended up taking through all of these other things that we'll get to? (laughs) Yes. So I would say mostly when I was 16 years old is when I took my faith more seriously. That's when I was in a tragic car accident, start asking the big questions about life. Not too long after that, my grandmother, who was my best friend at the time, I was really obsessed with her. I used to just catch the school bus after school just to go hang out with her. I would help her cook, wash dishes, clean the house, anything, cut the grass just to be around her. So uh, so when she passed, that was really soul crushing. So those two events really got me asking bigger questions and thinking more deeply about life and my particular relationship with the Lord. And then, you know, jumping into my music bag, I really love rap music and hip hop culture. So I tried my hand at it as a kid. And then, you know, around 16 again, I said, man, maybe I should change the content of my lyrics to be more consistent with not only the stuff my grandmother would be proud of, but with the scriptures. And those three major events really kind of shaped who I am as Flame the Artist (laughs) and the person, Marcus Gray. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us more about Grandma's faith that was that that was so important to you as well, and and how that 
where that story goes from grandma's faith and 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 you you talked about as around 16 it, it became important to you to to be serious about your faith as well but what was what was unique about grandma's faith man i, I think so one she would always tell us stories so i'm the only child but i do have close cousins and we're like sisters and brothers and literally i remember she would just like sit us on a couch and just tell us either bible stories or personal stories that, you know, things she experienced where God was faithful to either protect her or to provide for her. And it was so captivating. I just remember it was like story time. And so it was just a family mood that drew me into not only her personality, but to the scriptures and to the Lord himself. So, man, I think she just had a big personality. She had a great sense of humor. She was a great storyteller and she loved scripture and she wanted to, you know, transfer that legacy on to her grandchildren. So that always stuck with me. And I think just through that experience, the Lord worked this deep thirst in my heart for his word and to share his word and to be creative while doing so. So I think that's, man, I, that really describes who I am. And a lo- another story that's kind of funny. I don't know if I shared it on here, but I'll make it short. So I used to listen to just mainstream rap music. I was obsessed with it. And the words were just vile and debased. And my grandmother did not like that. And so rather than crushing my, you know, dreams or my hopes and aspirations to be a rap artist, she suggested, why don't you study your schoolwork, write songs about your schoolwork, and then when you take tests, you'll have all the answers in your lyrics. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that's genius. So she really shaped the style that I have today, which I call edutainment. So I I, I credit her for developing in me this idea of bringing, you know, uh, I guess deep thought or just lofty ideas to the arts and kind of blending them together. So yeah, that's a major part of my story. <laughs> Man, I want to know your grandma now. She I sounds do. so cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she would love you all too. Seriously, like, like no wonder best. he wanted to hang out with her. She sounds amazing <laughs> and yeah. like like a, a woman of deep wisdom and knowledge too. That's yeah, nice. I love it. <laughs> when did? When did rap become more part of what you were doing, something that you really wanted to focus on? Because obviously it was something that you were interested in for a while, but when did it become something that was a bit more serious, something that you actually wanted to pursue maybe? Yeah, I would say around fifth grade. I remember a friend of mine, he had an aunt who had moved from St. Louis to California. She was producing film, and then she would contact him and say, hey, I know you mess around with music. Maybe you can start to create music for the soundtrack of these independent films that I'm creating. So then my friend told me about that. So we started taking music a bit more seriously then and just trying to record songs and stuff like that. But it wasn't faith-based or anything. It was just rapping about kid stuff. And then later on in life is when I, I said, man, let me try my hand at incorporating my faith into my music. So that was, yeah, in my teen years, 16 in that space, But I remember at my youth night is when I first sort of went public. There was a group in my local church that was doing Christian rap. I thought I invented Christian rap. And then I saw them doing it. And I was like, wait, what is going on? They got my idea. They took my idea. They saw me rapping in my living room. And they, no. But so, yeah, I literally went to my youth pastor. I was like, hey, I do Christian rap also. And he was like, man, that's cool. Maybe we can have you do something at a youth night. And that's when I first went public and got the nervous jitters of being in front of people and all of that stuff. And that's, you know, that's, that helped me, you know, be better fit for being in front of people sharing my faith through music. Who were some of the artists who 
influenced you? Man, I would say there's a group by the name of Cross Movement. So they were older than I was, and, you know, they took Christian rap to the next level. They created a, a business around it, and not only did they do, you know, just sort of the ministry side, and I use the word ministry just to talk about, I don't know, being evangelistic and sharing the good news through music. They made that into a business and then created an industry. So really, anything that is Christian rap today owes a big hat tip to the group Cross Movement. So they were already doing missions trips and sharing that faith in different countries and writing blogs about it. And there was this new thing called the Internet that just came out of nowhere. And they occupied a space on it called a website. And uh, they would just share their experiences on the road. And I remember just always hovering over the computer and reading through their devotionals and learning more so how to articulate my faith in St. Louis. So, yeah, Cross Movement and then a bunch of local guys, a friend of mine named Thizzle. The Lord used me in his life to really help bring him to the faith. And then we started doing music together. There's a guy named KB. He's very talented, just a great guy. He's a friend now, but he's also one of the best Christian rap artists. So these dudes inspire me and help me stay creative and, and have, help me have fun while doing so. <laughs> what was that relationship like with Cross Movement? Because you talk about them quite a bit in your book, how you were able to, to have this relationship with that, with that movement. Yes, man, it was so crazy. Like meeting them was like meeting, in my experience, it was like meeting your favorite pop star, like, <laughs> you know, whoever that is for you. And when I met them, I was starstruck. I just, I was honored to be in their presence. I found out they had a concert in Chicago. So a friend, a couple of friends of mine, we just jumped in my truck, made a random trip to Chicago. We got lost on the way trying to use this thing called MapQuest. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, eventually we got to the concert. And it was just fun just being there, seeing that other people our age, teenagers that were listening to Christian rap, they all knew the lyrics. So that was super cool. And then afterwards they were like, man, they're going to be signing you know, autographs, taking pictures. So we were like, let me get to meet them. So we, you know, just hung out with them. And they were like, where are you guys from? We were like, St. Louis. They were like, where is that? <laughs> I was like, wow, we're not even known or on a map <laughs> or anything. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, we exchanged numbers. I gave them one of my demos and they called me back in about a week and a half. So I was floored. It's a funny story in the book about that. So I'll, I'll let the readers discover that. But, man, we just built a relationship over the years, over the phone, and eventually I got a chance to tour with them. Yeah. What was that like going from creating rap in your living room to youth night to now touring with a group? Oh, my goodness. It was intense, It was. It was. but it was so life-changing. One, I would journal every day. So after the night's experience, the day's experience, I would just come back and write down my thoughts and the different encounters I had that were special to me. and uh, But I remember it was my first time, you know, traveling throughout the country, number one. I had never been outside of St. Louis, so that was just life-changing. And then number two, I had never seen a diverse body of believers because mm -hmm. my church community was 100% black Americans. I didn't even know God saved people outside of black America. I just had no idea that Christianity was that big. So I was just floored when we went to churches that were predominantly Asian, predominantly white, Hispanic. I literally was, I mean, it brought me to tears because it was a new idea. Like, wow, Christianity is huge. And that just drove in my heart the stake deeper 
for you know what the Lord was doing all throughout the world. So it was a life-changing experience. We are talking with the artist Flame. He has a new book, Extra Nos, Discovering Grace Outside Myself from Concordia Publishing House that releases today. We'll talk more mm-hmm. about that in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Our guest today is Flame Lutheran artist and author of Extranos, Discovering Grace Outside Myself, new from Concordia Publishing House today. And so we get to share a few insights from the book and some of the stories that you share in the book, which is super exciting for us to like, having read the book now, mm-hmm. sitting down to actually get to talk <laughs> with you face to face and and learn more about these stories. Now, when you started touring with Cross Movement, where were you? How would you describe your faith at that time and the faith tradition that you were a part of? Where, how would you describe where you were at that time? Oh, yeah. Great question. At that point, I was a part of a denomination called Full Gospel Baptist, which is a combination of Baptist and Pentecostal. So at that point, it was maybe a bit charismatic, sprinkled with a little bit of prosperity thought. and uh, But it was some great foundational things that I gained there and experiences and friendships that were forged that are still true to this day. And uh, so I hold dearly to those things. But when I went on a tour, you know, most of the artists were reformed or Calvinistic. And uh, yeah, I just, I, you know, I remember them asking me, what was I? Was I a Calvinist? Was I an Arminian? And I'm like, I've never heard of either one of those gangs. You know, I'm, <laughs> I follow Jesus. And uh, they were like, no, they're not gangs. They're <laughs> just within the Christian camp. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, so they really, about over two months time started to teach me about the Reformation and mostly about Calvinism. And we talked a bit about Luther, but in brief. So Luther's kind of used for his clout and then he sort of swept under the carpet. And that was my experience even on a tour. So after I left the tour, I felt like Calvinism was the way. But going back home to St. Louis, I went straight back to Bible college and my even my Bible college, the university that I was a part of, was mostly reformed. So I felt like, man, this is like the stuff I learned on tour. I'm in the right place. And that's when I just started to learn more deeply about Calvinism. And uh, yeah, the journey continued for 18 years. (laughs) Yeah. What was that journey like knowing about the Reformation, knowing about Calvin, knowing a little bit about Luther and being in this reformed space of theology then journeying what was that journey like that got you to the seminary then because theology is obviously something you love so what was that journey like kind of making your way through all of this this, these different theological things (laughs) man you know I really appreciated it because at the time with the charismatic and prosperity leanings 
I remember being a bit uncomfortable because it didn't sound like the stuff my grandmother taught me. Mm. So I was like, man, I just don't remember that much of an emphasis on, you know, God's desire to see you rich or or God not allowing you or wanting you to suffer. That just was new rhetoric that wasn't familiar to me, nor did it sound like the stuff, you know, Francis Jones used to talk about. So Calvinism helped in terms of putting a focus on scripture and talking a little bit about church history. And then ultimately, there's a lot of talk about God's sovereignty. So God is big. He's in control. That was helpful in terms of trying to understand myself in the world and my experience just as a human. But eventually, I do remember that same sort of, you know, feeling in my gut, so to speak, that there was this notion that Jesus did not die for everyone and that, in fact, he created some people just for judgment because God wants to flex his wrath. So to do so, he creates humans just to judge them so his wrath can be put on display. And over time, that idea just started to turn on me because I, I questioned, well, how do I know if I'm one of the ones Jesus, Jesus actually died for? And although they would say, well, look to the cross, that's where we look. You know, that's the answer on paper. But experientially, the way it plays out is you end up looking to your good works or your spiritual growth to prove that you're really one of the ones Jesus died for. And maybe on a good day, you can look at yourself and say, I think I'm doing pretty decent. I'll give myself about a C plus, maybe a B minus. But if you're not doing so good, you're probably afraid or even terrified that you might not be one of the ones Jesus died for. So that that got me asking more questions again. And here comes Lutheran thought right in the midst of that low point. <laughs> All right. So how did Lutheran thought enter the picture? How did Lutheran theology enter the picture of your life? Man, it, it, I love telling the story because it felt so random. A friend of mine, a, a dear friend of mine, out of the blue, just contacted me in that space and said, Hey, Flame, uh, I know you're considering going back to seminary, but my professor here, I think it's called Golden Gate Seminary, something like that, in California, he was like, my Reformed Baptist Seminary professor told me that if I'm going back to seminary in St. Louis, I should check out Concordia. And then, so he's telling me that. He's like, I think you should check the school out too. So I was like, cool, I'll do it. Scheduled a meeting to visit the campus, went to tour the campus. I didn't even know it was a Lutheran school. I thought it was a Calvinistic reformational thing. The whole time I'm touring the campus, I'm talking about John Calvin, how much he saved Christianity, how awesome he is. And Dr. Bodie is the guy who was, you know, giving me the tour. He was just so patient, just kind of humor me and let me get that off my chest. <laughs> and then eventually he's like, this is a Lutheran university. And, uh, you know, so we have fun, fun talks about that. But, man, I mean, once I tested into the graduate program, got into Lutheran mind and started to hear some of the differences, I say, oh, wait, this isn't a Calvinistic institution. And the Reformation has a, a splinter in a way that I wasn't aware of, but it was very intriguing and I wanted to hear more. So I just, I was like, man, let me just sit and soak. So for two years there, that's what I did. What was that struggle like in your mind knowing, I mean, because you have a fairly extensive theological background, just all of the different traditions that you've been through. What was that like sitting and soaking in the, the Lutheran theology and kind of trying to like 
pair it up with the stuff that you already knew and figuring out what what was true and what wasn't and uh, talking with a pastor that that you have what was that struggle like for you <laughs> it was stressful in in many ways <laughs> because some of the terminology was similar and then other things were very different even though they would use the same terms so i remember just for an example in lutheran mind briefly we talked about the heidelberg disputation where Luther used the terminology of a theologian of glory versus a theologian of the cross. The theologian of glory sort of tries to answer questions that God hasn't sought fit to provide in the Bible. The theologian of the cross is the good guy. He's the one that just leans in on what God has exposed. But in the Calvinistic circle, the word glory is always tied to something positive, something good, God's good things. So I'm like, yes, the theologian of glory is the, the hero of the story. And so I answered on the pop quiz with that answer. I got it wrong. And I'm like, huh, maybe they're using the word glory differently. And so it was stuff like that, that I had to, you know, learn terms and definitions. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of a crisis in terms of hearing some things about the sacraments. I remember hearing that baptism was a means of grace and not just a metaphor where we are baptized to demonstrate to others and to God how serious we are. But this idea that baptism is a means of grace whereby God delivers what Jesus won on the cross for us, that was that sounded spooky. And I remember praying, God, please don't let me be falling for occultish ideas. Guard my mind. I'm scared. And uh, But it was stuff like that that was like, I don't know what to do with this. And uh, so I just took crazy notes. I recorded all the lectures, went home, listened to all the lectures again, Immediately when I got home, read through all my notes every day I had class, like religiously. <laughs> In your book, you share some of the stories, the the ups and downs, the challenges, some of the, the, the deeply, you know, the, the things that impacted you so deeply as well. And I, I appreciate that you were so honest and shared all those stories of how how God worked in your life and your perception as well. And some of the even emotional things that were, you know, deeply emotional for you. I appreciate that you share those in the book. Now the book is coming out today from Concordia Publishing House. And I understand that it's not just in print. Can you give us a hint as to what else might be coming down the line? (laughs) Yes, we do have the audio book. So I'm super excited about it because not only am I, reading the book myself, but the book is, it's an experience. So you'll, you'll hear music, you'll hear the sound effects that coincide with the stories that are being told. Just for an example, when I'm talking about the car accident, you'll hear the, the collision and you'll feel those angsts because we try to bring those moments to life. And so it's produced and very well, I would say. So shout out to my producer, Michelle and Tarsia. She did all the editing. She took I think it was like 12 hours worth of audio and condensed it down to five hours. So I apologize to her for (laughs) for the torture. (laughs) I could feel Andy just like (laughs) melting. (laughs) Oh, it was terrible. I just felt so bad. (laughs) I'm texting her like, are you okay? (laughs) She's like, yes, but no. (laughs) But But now I'm proud of it. I feel like... uh, People that are on the go will enjoy the audio version. And then some people that might want to read the book and enjoy the audio version, they'll have both of those at their disposal. So, yeah, I think it's going to serve people really well. 
Yeah, I'm really excited to to listen to the audiobook. I was trying to read the book. I listened to the the preview copy I had, but it was not in your voice, and I was very sad about that. So I'm very happy to be able to listen to this book in your voice. I think yes. it's going to be my, such a, a higher level experience to to be able to do that. So that's super exciting. Nice. Who are you hoping reads this book? What are you hoping that people will gain from reading your story and your own journey and all of the the theological things that that you have to say? Yeah, my hope is that a few different people will pick up the book. One, those who left Christianity. You know, it was something that was important to me to keep in mind while writing because I have a lot of friends, unfortunately, that have left the faith within recent years. And I know even across the country and the world that has sort of been a thing that's happened within the last few years. But I wanted to write in such a way that would help people reimagine Christianity, to reimagine God himself. And maybe they will be drawn to his grace as they're hearing Christianity articulated through ancient Christianity as preserved through confessional Lutheran thought. And I know just, you know, sort of the generic American way of talking about Christianity can be a bit stressful on the person because there's more of an emphasis on sort of proving your piety and your seriousness to God. So I think those readers are going to be excited about it. And even those who are just struggling with their faith, the second reader I had in my mind, people that want to know and feel that sense of anxiety. Am I right with God? You know, especially people that are good people, you know, horizontally speaking, people that are, that have a sensitive conscience that may go extra hard on themselves and they're trying, they're rule keepers, but they, in, in every little thing that they detect that they've done wrong or not in the most accurate way, they just heap all types of condemnation on themselves. I think about those people too, and I want them to to breathe and to know that God is for them. And uh, so I think about those people. And then just in general, I mean, anybody that's interested in, you know, understanding Christianity better, I'm dealing with the scriptures themselves. I'm dealing with church history. So if you just have a love for Bible and theology, I think you're going to love the book. So you may not find yourself in any particular crises, but you just want to read more about the Bible and church history and theology. You'll love the book too. The name Extranos, where does that come from? Indeed, it is a Latin phrase, and it means outside of us, or outside of ourselves. And I wanted to highlight the reality that what Jesus has accomplished for us comes from outside of us, from himself, where he delivers all the goods through word and sacrament. So I want people to not do so much deep diving and introspection to see how good they are or to see if they're good outweighs their bad, but to look to Jesus the Psalms say, look to the hills from whence our help comes from. And, it, and that help is Jesus himself. So I want people to do that. And that's what Extra Notes is. It's my understanding that you will be making an appearance at the LCMS <laughs> convention coming up at the end of July, beginning of August. Yes, indeed. I'm super excited about that. It'll be my first time. I just want to be in the building and be in the mix And I'll also be speaking, so I'm very excited about that. And I think it's just going to be good to see the faces and meet people that have been carrying these ideas and these truths a lot longer than I have, and really just to say thank you. Thank you for being faithful. I know that could be stressful just on a ground level. So I just want to say thank you. I want to share my experience and how I see myself in this story that's already been being told throughout the confessional Lutheran tradition. So I'm excited to be a part of that. 
Looking forward to having you in Milwaukee. You can find Extranos at Concordia Publishing House, cph.org, and anywhere you get books as well. Thanks so much, Flame, for spending some time with us on the Coffee Hour today. Congratulations on the new book. Can't wait till the audiobook comes out. Looking forward to it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.